Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Aisha D. To say we are excited for this one is a little bit of an understatement. When we actually first logged on to the call and started saying hi to Aisha, I accidentally referred to her as Kat, her character from the bold type, within about 20 seconds. We, Zara and I, logged on from Melbourne. Aisha logged on from LA and it was such a great chat. For those unfamiliar, Aisha is, of course, the Australian actor who has taken the US by storm. She is one of the lead actors on the bold type, bringing the enigmatic and outspoken character of Kat Edison to life. In this chat, we touch on Aisha's upbringing in the Gold Coast to her big move to the US, her love of music, and family and her gorgeous relationship with her co-stars Katie Stevens and Megan Fahey. This chat left us feeling light and invigorated and positively effervescent and we hope you leave it feeling the exact same things also. Here's Aisha. Aisha D, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. This is such a friggin' delight. We are bloody excited to have you on. Oh, thanks. I'm excited to to be on and also to hear my native accent back. Hopefully by the end of this, I'll get some of it back. It's real janky right now. I don't know what's going on with my accent. <laughs> I was going to say, we've got quite an Aussie twang. So if you can pick up just a tiny bit of it, you'll be fine because there's, there's a lot to pick up. <laughs> Aisha, we wanted to start today by asking how you are. We imagine it's been a very intense and difficult time in LA and the US and worldwide at the moment. So how are you? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I feel like at the best of times, I'm on an emotional roller coaster. I'm a highly emotional person. And luckily, most of the time that comes in useful for my work. But right now, I'm just, you know, having conversations with myself in my apartment. (laughs) Um, I will say, though, like, this is the first time in a really, really long time where I haven't been on constant airplanes. And there's something about just like being on the ground and not having a suitcase right by my door that's been really kind of nice. And work has taken a back seat. I usually, you know, I try to stay motivated and like doing kind of 10 things at once. And now it's like, well, there's nothing happening. So I might as well focus on doing the things that are going to make me healthier and, you know, and hopefully better on the inside and my mind too. So it's just, my priorities have really shifted in a way that I'm actually really liking. For all the chatter we have about self-care, I feel like that's been such a buzz term for the past few years, but that's really been brought into focus, I think, over the last few months. How have you been kind of taking care of yourself and coming back to your center in the last few months? Yeah, I mean, it is interesting how that conversation has changed just in the last year or so with everything happening. And I'm a really firm believer that if you don't take care of yourself and your cup isn't full, then you're not able to help other people. And, you know, for me, I am trying to balance like taking a day for myself where I just do yoga and meditate if I can. And sometimes my mind is like a mess the whole time, but at least I tried. And those days enable me to be able to go out and protest and march or to, you know, be there for a friend if they need you know, some kind of emotional support from six feet away. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's it's super important. And something that we like, I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up with this, this idea in my head that like my own health and, you know, my mental and my physical health was, was my responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like such a foreign concept that I learned much later in life, you know? <laughs> I think so many people are realizing that because we've had so much time by ourselves and with our own minds. What have you been doing with that time? What have you been reading? What have you been watching, listening to that have sort of been able to fill your cup? Well, I pretty much like wake up in the morning 
and stop playing music because I love to have sound in my house because it, it just helps me to like focus. So I've actually been listening to a lot of Nina Simone lately. Weirdly, super comforting to me. And I grew up listening to Nina Simone and I mean, a lot of her music is protest music too. So there's something about it that's really calming, you know, her and and then, you know, if I feel like I, I want to go be a harder, then I go like Kendrick Lamar. Um, <laughs> and I also, there's this uh, this other rapper that people don't really know as much, although I love him. His name's Kota the Friend, like K-O-T-A, the friend. And um, he just has really beautiful lyrics, like poetry to me. And then I'm I'm actually rereading a book right now called uh, Sister Outsider. Um, What's that about? Essays. It's a book of essays by Audre Lord, and she's a black lesbian feminist poet, just like all around super inspiring. And um, she has these essays that really make you think. And I just really enjoy her work. I enjoy her poetry, but also like this book of essays is really interesting too. And I mean, it's from a while ago, but everything is still so completely relevant. And I've read it before, but I think, you know, sometimes you come back to a book years later and you're like, oh, that's, I didn't even realize what I was actually reading, you know? I think, you know, something is really brilliant art when you can consume it multiple times and pick up something different every single time. My favorite books are the ones that I can revisit and discover a whole new aspect of it that I didn't realize the first time. Yeah, totally. Like I'm, and the ones where you days later are still thinking about it and another thought occurs to you and you're able to kind of apply it in different ways. And just right now that felt like it was in my bookshelf and I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Like, let me get that one back out again. Aisha, talk to us about growing up and what your childhood was like. You grew up on the Gold Coast, that's right? I did, yeah. I was on the Gold Coast uh, with my family until I was 13. And, you know, I mean... (laughs) I tried to surf. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't very good at all. Um, like people, you know, now living here, people are like, oh, did you just go surfing all the time? I was, like, I was in the ocean a lot, but like I'm not a super coordinated person. So, you know, I'm, I'm like a good swimmer, but, you know, when it came to surfing, I was just, it was not my jam. But yeah, I grew up on the Gold Coast and in the 90s, it was a very specific kind of place. I feel like now I actually went back last holidays to see, you know, my aunties and my uncles out there. My mom is the eldest of 13 kids as well. Whoa. So. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of them are my age and we all kind of grew up together. There were certain points in my life where because it was my mom and I, we also lived with my grandparents and all of their kids in you know sometimes a two-bedroom just like all of us crammed in there so I have actually really kind of like fond memories of growing up with like a big family at points and then sometimes just with my mom but yeah like 90s Gold Coast is a very specific like the imagery of that is so specific it's hard to explain to anyone who didn't experience it you know the Gold Coast is its own kettle (laughs) of fish I feel like I don't think many people can relate unless you know what it's like to live there or to be there it's such a unique place and like has such a place in the heart of Australians I think as well talk to (laughs) us about acting where did acting come into the mix for you because it's clearly such a huge part of your life and something you're really passionate about how did you find it Well, my mom and I bought everything at the op shop. It was the one place we went for everything, like cutlery, TV, everything. And um, we had like a little TV with the bunny ears. And most of the time we didn't get reception, but occasionally we did. And I remember, I have very fond memories of, you know, 
a good reception day when Sesame Street was on. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of sounds like a lie. Like when I say it out loud, I'm like, there's no way I got inspired to act from Sesame Street. But that's really what happened. I I loved it so much. And it was the first time I'd ever really seen a group of kids that felt like me, you know, because as much as Australia is super multicultural, there's so many immigrants from so many different places. Uh, at that particular time on the Gold Coast, there really wasn't anyone who looked like me. And so I had to search for it. And I really found it in Sesame Street, you know, like they had all different ethnicities, from people from different walks of life, and there were business owners and families and kids. And um, I just decided that I was gonna <laughs> go to New York and be on Sesame Street with all the <laughs> the cool kids I don't know <laughs> and it, I honestly like I think I must have sounded so obnoxious and I I don't know how it actually you know came to be but yeah things just kind of fell into place and I was always pointed in the right direction by my gut and you know I'm lucky to be able to do what I do do you think that being drawn to acting does have a whole lot to do with growing up on the Gold Coast and, as you say, not being raised around kids that look like you, that you're drawn to kind of a different world where you say, okay, well, these are the people that are like me and look like me and I can relate to more? Oh, for sure. I mean, I found so much comfort in it and it really became this place for me where I was. I felt like I was finally able to like exhale in movies and obviously like the older I got, the more I started to branch out to different things. And they, these characters, like, because I didn't necessarily have many friends. So like the people in the movies were my mates, like they were the people that I would hang out with. And I really just loved it so much. And I think subconsciously I wanted to be that for other people. And like the thought that I have actually been a part of things that have been comforting to people, especially in a time that we're living in right now. It's so crazy. So wild. <laughs> it's it's beautiful though, because it is so yeah. true. You have provided such a comfort and such a source of joy, but also people feel like you represent this generation and your show that you're on now, which we will get to in a bit, represents how so many young women feel about politics and about the world that they live in. Before we get to the bold type, we have to talk about the Saddle Club. How the hell did the Saddle Club come about? <laughs> We can't move past this. The Saddle Club has such a place in our hearts, of course, like the Gold Coast does. How did the Saddle Club come onto your radar? How did that job come about? Well, <laughs> I was, I was, like I said, a very obnoxious child and I would get the yellow pages and I would find like I, I, acting agencies and modeling agencies and whatever and I would like be like, mom, I need you to take me here and she, I think at first was a little bit like, she wanted me to be a musician because that's what she does. She's an opera singer and she wanted me to kind of go more in that direction. But I was like really determined that that was what I wanted to do. And eventually I got like signed to this kind of agency. And I think it was actually the first audition that they really sent me on. And I really didn't know what I was doing at all. I have a distinct memory of asking them if I needed to read the stage direction. Because, you know, you have like the lines and then it says what the characters are doing. And I was like, do I need to read that part? And they were like, no, no, you just need to read the lines. So, yeah, I don't know why they cast me, but um, clearly we were vibing. And, um, yeah, it just kind of happened really organically. And honestly, that experience is still an experience that's super close to my heart. And I'm still, I still keep in touch with those girls too. 
I love them. It's funny for me to watch people realize that I'm Australian and that, you know, make the connection because often when I go home, people are like, oh, what brings you to Australia? And I'm like, (laughs) where I'm from. This faraway (laughs) land. How did the big move to the US come about? How old were you and what kind of drove you there? Um, I was about 15 when I kind of started laying the groundwork to go. I guess like it's that kind of thing that I think a lot of Australians have that wanderlust and like need to travel. And it was also the the Sesame Street thing. Um, <laughs> truly, that saved me my whole life. I was like, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to find Sesame Street. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I just was finding that like the opportunities in Australia were really kind of like few and far between. I was not really getting many auditions and you know, even when I was, they were kind of directly telling me that they didn't really feel that they were going to go diverse. And I was like, okay, well, this is something that's not in my control. So maybe I should try somewhere different. And luckily, all of the puzzle pieces just kind of fell into place. And when I when I came out here, the first job that I actually got shot back in my hometown, like a shot in the Gold Coast. Wow. Yeah. Was that frustrating for you, feeling like Australia is behind on diversity? You are certainly not the first person to say that on an In Conversation episode with us. We have had models and we've had actors say that the scene in Australia is so white and it is so backward compared to the UK and the US. It just feels like we are 10, 20 years behind everyone else. That must have been really frustrating for you to learn at such a young age. I mean, it, it was definitely, it was a learning curve for me, for sure. But I never really knew anything else. So I didn't have anything to compare it to. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess it was a little bit, I did kind of take it personally because I was quite young, even though it's absolutely not personal. It's systemic at this point. And I think I think countries all over the world still have a really long way to go. But certainly in terms of Australia, like the Australia that I see is so colorful and that's what makes it so beautiful. And I would really love to see that because like, I mean, I think about how powerful it would have been for me to have seen like, you know, some color on like neighbors and home and away, these kind of staples that we grow up watching. And I think the idea that the girl next door in Australia is blonde hair, blue eyed is kind of like antiquated and really has never been the truth. So it's about time that we kind of celebrated, you know, the thing that makes Australia so beautiful. When you were 17, you starred in the show, I Hate My Teenage Daughter. And I read this morning this interview you did with The Latch. And there was this really awesome quote that I called Michelle and I spoke to her about. And I was like, I want to ask Asia about this. Because in the interview, you said that you struggled at the time you were 17 with the negative feedback the show got and how much it all hurt. And you quoted your co-star, Kevin Rahm, who told you at the time, you're never as good as they say you are. And you're never as shit as they say you are. What, what was it about the time in that quote that kind of taught you so much? Well, first of all, Kevin has been such a champion of mine and such a great friend over the years. And I always just, I felt like this connection to him because his sense of humor kind of reminded me of Australians and it felt kind of self-deprecating, but in a way that was constructive, you know, it was all about just kind of moving through it and, and not taking things too personally. And I don't know. Yeah, I guess it just kind of reminded me of the way that people would speak at home. It it struck a chord with me. And it's something that I've taken with me, I think, you know, throughout everything, because it really is the truth. And there's always going to be someone that's like, oh, 
that girl, I can't stand her. <laughs> like, yeah. girl, I just know they're out there. There's someone who's like, oh, I'm not going to listen to that episode. <laughs> that girl is And that's okay. It's okay. It's like just how it goes. It's cool. <laughs> Coming up after the break, why Aisha almost rejected her chance to audition on The Bold Type without even reading the script. But first, a word from our sponsors. What? I mean, we've touched on it a couple of times. You've been joking around that as a kid you were arrogant. And I think what most people (laughs) say is as a kid you were confident. Do you think you need to sing back to that sense of confidence and that sense of self in those moments of self-doubt? Because having a public career, there are going to be moments where you really doubt yourself or you really do in your lowest moments listen to that negative feedback. What keeps you going? What, what, like, maintains your drive? Oh, wow. Um, You know... I do like, I actually have been thinking about that a lot lately. And like this, uh, I'm like, where did that girl go? He was like, you know, whenever people would tease me, I'd be like, you know what? It's fine. I'm going to move to America anyway. And people would be like, you're not going to go to America. How are you going to get there? Like, (laughs) (laughs) and they were right. Like I had no, I had no resources to actually make the move, but there's something about that. And it really comes from a place. I think at that point it came from a place of like naivete. Like I just didn't, really know any better and sometimes there's power in that you know in not thinking too hard about something and just kind of going for it and I I do feel like you know like I think a lot of women too you go through these phases in your life and especially as a teenager in the time I was a teenager the world had a way of kind of like telling you that everything that made you who you were especially if you had any feminine traits like that was seen as weakness and so you kind of dull yourself and you make yourself smaller and you know I, I didn't want to offend people so I used to like wear my hair in these really tight buns at the back of my head and I would put a headband over my hairline so nobody could see it because I was so embarrassed about my hair and I think my 20s has really been about kind of refinding that self-confidence and it not coming from a place of naivete, but it coming from a place of just feeling really grounded in myself. Talk to us about the bold type. It is, of course, (laughs) one of the major reasons we're all sitting here. When the script and the concept came across your desk, what was your first thought? Well, (laughs) to be honest, my first thought was like, no, thank you. This sounds lame. (laughs) Um, Shut up. Why? Not not lame. Okay, that's going to sound terrible but uh the truth is I just kind of I think I read it at face value and was like three girls trying to make it in a magazine in New York like it's been done and you know I don't need to be on this show that's just kind of like white bread feminism like not really gonna go there and um and I just like kind of wasn't sure about it and then uh my manager was like just like give it a read please because we think you're going to really like it and I was like oh fine like I guess I'll read it and um, (laughs) it really like pleasantly surprised me I think from like page one I was just it really took me by surprise and I think actually the same thing happened for a lot of people watching the show because I remember in the first season when the first season came out here pretty much every review was titled like we can't believe we actually like the ball time (laughs) and um (laughs) I think that, I think that, but I think that that's what makes it so beautiful is because it's on its surface, it is this really simple concept. But then when you get underneath and you really like go into what these girls are dealing with and how they're dealing with it, it is so unique and it is 
so timely and you know just just the way that it came into the world and the time that it came into the world I think it it was just it just hit people in a way that was um I mean I don't want to like throw around words but it feels kind of spiritual like it feels like this show affects people in a way that's it's just like it feels really unifying intense. to me it yeah. feels like it's been such a unifying show and it's sparked some really important conversations and I feel like one of those conversations that has arisen because of your character Kat is that one of the first storylines was her same-sex relationship with a Muslim woman named Adina. Was it Mm -hmm. really important to you that your character was involved in kind of dismantling really harmful and rigid cultural stereotypes? Yeah I mean luckily I think you know from the get-go the goal was to kind of push the stories in a way to, you know, to do things that hadn't been done before. And the concept of someone in the Muslim community who's also part of the LGBT community is a relatively new concept, even though LGBT Muslims exist and they are proud and and there's just not the representation there. So getting to be a part of that was and is really special to me and means a lot. Nicole Boucheri, who plays Adina, and I, I remember we met, the first time we met, we were doing the pilot and we met for coffee and spent like hours and hours trying to like carve out who Adina was and I was showing her like I had found these um this kind of community of LGBT Muslims and they were all artists on Tumblr and we were kind of like picking different parts of their personality traits that we could kind of pick up and like just and she's so intelligent too and so smart and um she really brought a lot to the table in terms of like specificity and and doing it right so I just hope I hope that we get to continue to tell stories like that because they mean a lot to me too just knowing how isolated I felt like the power of that knowing that it it just makes the responsibility of that really important to me your character on the show Kat is so political in such a beautiful way and so vocal about everything from the LGBTIQ community to race to trans issues did that character sing to who you are away from work I think she for sure has influenced me in more than one way. Like, I think when I came in to do the show, I wasn't really sure if, I I honestly wasn't sure if I was right to play Kat because I felt like she was more confident than I was. And then I I kind of, I got the role and I was like, oh, okay, are they sure they want me to do this? But I I guess I'll try. And I guess it's that like fake it till you make it thing (laughs) that is very true. I feel like some of her confidence kind of, made its way into to my kind of personality and also just kind of getting to see her make mistakes too and and come back from those mistakes is um is equally as inspiring I think and you know any issue that we tackle on the show it's it's not about like fixing it or you know covering the entire issue because you can't do that in 45 minutes But I think it's what you said earlier about starting a conversation I think that Kat has this really beautiful way of like being a vessel to like start a conversation or a debate or whatever and it's beautiful to see like the fans kind of create this community and have discussions you know outside of the show too. You said in a recent interview Kat Edison kind of influenced me to feel more brave and more confident and to find my voice a little bit too. Was that literally in being able to get on screen and tell these really important stories that away from that screen you then felt like you were more confident to do so? Yeah I mean I think like for me, I I guess I I'm like to think of myself as a pretty confident person, but I'm also like a total nerd and a bit socially awkward. <laughs> so 
you know, like, I'm, I'm like, just like a bit of a loser, but that's fine. And like, feel like playing cat, (laughs) playing cat now has just made me feel like that's okay, you know, and that there's a way to kind of live in the confidence of that and knowing that, you know, because cat is not perfect. And sometimes she does things that are really misguided and impulsive, but she always, her heart is always in the right place. And she's always willing to admit when she's wrong and to, you know, to divert and go a different direction. Yeah, she definitely has influenced me to be more brave. And I mean, this show is, has given me so much. I'm so grateful for it. And that's not even mentioning, you know, the fact that it's given me two of my best friends as well in Katie and Megan. Talk to us about those friendships or the friendship that you share with both Katie and Megan, because it would be, I imagine, such an intense working relationship when you're on screen mm-hmm. together all the time and working in such close quarters. Talk to us about what those relationships mean to you. Yeah, well, I mean, we're together for many, many hours in a day. And uh, I think, you know, when it's like hour 14 and it's 2 Mm a.m., you can't really be like that, you know, whippersnapper kind of like personality that you usually would be able to be. You kind of just have to be the most honest version of yourself. And I think really the thing that I've learned most from my friendship with them is just how to be really honest and how that actually is the way to cultivate the best friendships and we weirdly just kind of like clicked straight away to be completely honest I mean I, I remember even shooting the the pilot episode we like all had a night where we had a sleepover and we all just just cried and <laughs> told each other our secrets and like had the best time and yeah, that my relationship with them is really special. Plus, we've been through so much together. Just, you know, Katie got married this year. We've been through breakups together. And like, it's it's crazy. Do you guys sit back and talk about what the secret ingredient to the show's success is? I mean, one of it, one of those ingredients must be that the three of you are genuinely friends and genuinely so close and have that chemistry on screen and off screen. But I think the other ingredient from mine and Zara's perspective as two fans of the show is that this show came along in a time of Trump's America where it feels like the politics in America and here in Australia is quite conservative and they don't reflect the opinions and the beliefs and the value systems of young Australians and young Americans. Do you guys sit back and talk about that, how it came across at a political time that was really important? Yeah, I think I think with any show, there's always so many pieces that need to fall into place in order for something to, to work or in order for people to see it. Because there's so many shows made, especially now or in this kind of golden age of TV. And there's hundreds of shows and hundreds of things to choose from and the streaming platforms. So like something has to be really special to stand out from the crowd. And I think in terms of the bold type, there are I think there were probably hundreds of things that fell into place and kind of made it what it was. But yeah, I think probably near the top of that list is just the innate connection that we kind of had, luckily, because, you know, this job would really suck if we didn't like each other. (laughs) And then also just kind of the timing of it. But I think across the board, too, like the entire team behind the show is, is so great. Two of the things that we've touched on in the last sort of five to ten minutes has been how inherently political the bold type is and, as you said, almost surprisingly so for people who just sort of take it initially at face value and how kind of Cat Edison helped you find your voice. I'm wondering when really monumental things happen in the world, like, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement in the last sort of month or two, do you feel that emboldened to take a stand because of those two things? Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because I think 
we as a society, like we do move as individuals, but I think as a society, we all learn together as well. And I think that's also been kind of reflected in the show as well. But I think, yeah, definitely in the last month or so, I've been I've been emboldened to just kind of take up more space and um, and love myself a little bit more. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. I think I think you're never really done learning that. Mm. What is your favorite storyline of the bold type been so far? You guys have covered so many important things. I mean, in season four, you had a beautiful story about a trans marathon runner that I really enjoyed. I'm curious, as the person who brings Kat Edison to life, what is the storyline that stands out to you now? Oh, wow. I mean, there's actually so many. I think, well, I mean, for sure, I I love the storyline with Kat and Adina for several reasons. Sorry, I'm adjusting my heat pack. It's on my lower back because I'm PMSing right now. <laughs> oh my god, I've got a heat oh pack god. on my stomach right now. I'm <laughs> PMSing, and if in our Monday episode, Cat, no joke, I got on and I was like, I have the worst period cramps right now. It's like the thing of the week. We need to talk about it. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so one of my favorites is when Jane gets a yeast infection, which in Australia we call it thrush, but Americans call it a yeast infection. And that was really important to me because I had a similar experience myself where I was <laughs> like, no joke. I thought that they had, I thought that they had like put secret microphones in my house because I was literally supposed to speak on a panel and had to cancel it. Cause I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's the truth and I don't care if people know it um people get yeast infections it happens that's why the show is amazing because it yeah. tells those things that women go through every day that you don't see like you didn't see that even in like shows like sex in the city it didn't cover that no. kind of stuff really but it happened like how I can't think of like how many people were probably watching that like oh my god oh my god are they really gonna talk about it and I also just think that Katie did such a wonderful job she's <laughs> so funny I love that montage where she like sprays some like perfume at the end of it and like squeals. It was, I cackled. I loved it. <laughs> but I, I mean, obviously the obvious choice is to say that the, the Kat and Adina storyline, because it really is something that's so special to me. And I love the fact that you got to see someone in their adult years coming out and doing it with such openness and bravery. And it wasn't just a coming out story. It was also a story about someone just falling in love for the first time, which I think is so universal. And I just, I love Nicole so much. I think she's such a wonderful scene partner and and friend. And I, I love that we got to be a part of telling that story. I love so much what you said before when you were talking about the yeast infection storyline, when you're like, oh my God, well, did they bug my house? Like this is me yeah. in the storyline. And I think that's the beauty mm-hmm. of the show in so many ways, because <laughs> that happens so often like I've watched it being like holy shit this is me it's almost like my experience reflected back to me in different storylines do you have much involvement in how the stories develop when you walk into sort of a script reading or something like that do you say hey can we kind of focus on these things or these things how does that work yeah it's definitely a, a very collaborative process especially for tv because tv just moves so fast but yes yeah, from the very beginning we've always been invited to kind of share our thoughts and feelings and opinions and like they're not always able to kind of accommodate those things but to know that we are feeling heard and that our feelings are valid is like really important to me and has been a big part of I think why I love the show so much because it feels like there is a lot of us in there too and yeah we're just really blessed to have people producers who are um, really open to hearing our thoughts and I'm like really proud of the stuff that I've gotten to kind of contribute like 
I mean, it's, it's small, I guess, the smallest kind of silly things that really were important to me was like, there was a scene where I was like, I think I want to like elevate my legs in this scene. Cause sometimes when, you know, we wear a lot of heels on the show and I was like, my feet are sore. So in this scene, I will be laying on my bed. I will have my feet up the wall. I was like, and I would like to drop my phone on my face because I feel like that happens a lot and we never see it. Um, <laughs> oh so, my god um, my life yeah it's one of my my proudest moments to put it on my reel you know <laughs> talk to us about fame right this show I don't think it's a overreach tell me if it is that it has changed <laughs> your life being on the bold type it has really changed the shape of your life and your career and I want to know talk to us about the fame aspect of everything how has it been for you and how has it been for your family to see you become famous you have a quarter of a million followers on Instagram you are recognizable particularly here in Australia I would say as well I mean I still have a really like hard time with that because I'm such a bogan still (laughs) (laughs) like I'm so feral I promise like I don't I don't I don't identify with that at all but I mean my I have a little sister who's 11 and I also have two little brothers who are in their 20s and they assure me that that I'm like bragging rights for them so that's really cool I would say like that's the biggest thing is I'm not like their (laughs) annoying sister now I'm like the cool sister (laughs) So that's been a big change. But you know, I mean, I still feel like I live the same way I've always kind of lived. And I, I, I still wear my habits, you know, to get my coffee. And I think a, a lot of that kind of lifestyle stuff, you can make a choice to just kind of like, stay living a certain way. But in terms of like big life changes, I would say really the biggest thing has just been that I'm on a lot more airplanes now, although lately. <laughs> none so. <laughs> so you're not famous anymore <laughs> no <laughs> it's fine how much do you miss your family living so far from them oh my gosh oh, I miss home so much I keep like I get really jealous because you know parts of Australia are still on lockdown but then parts of Australia are you know just open and I see my friends are like hanging out I'm still very close with my friends from high school and I'm really jealous that they actually get to like see their friends and hug each other. So yeah, it's been especially hard lately. I think just um, usually working is a kind of a way to like distract my mind from the fact that I, I miss everyone so much. And, you know, knowing how far away everyone is can be really tough, but you know, we got, we got technology on our side. So mm-hmm. actually while we've been talking, my little sister has been sending me videos of her playing piano. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and you stayed on the record. I feel terrible. <laughs> no, no she sends me videos every day. She's like crazy. <laughs> She's so talented. She's like 11, but like plays like Mozart. And uh, every day she sends a little concert video so that I can, you know, chill and listen to her play. Talk to us about your relationship with your mum specifically. It seems like your mum has been a central figure in your life, of course, like so many of our mums are, but you have brought her up consistently across this interview and it seems like she has taught you a lot. Looking back at your relationship, what do you think are the key lessons you've learned from your mum? Well, you know what's funny is like she was always my mum, obviously, but because it was was just us until I was about – 15, 16, and then my little sister came along and my brothers came along and I kind of like got this instant family a lot later in life. But 
in my younger years, <laughs> she might not like me saying this, but she kind of felt like a roommate to me because she was pretty young and uh, it felt like we were both learning together and and she was teaching me a lot at the same time, but was also, I think, in this space where she was still ready to to grow and to be wrong, you know? So our relationship has always been very specific. And I think, I think anyone with a growing up with a single parent could probably attest to that. You know, I feel like we, we grew up together a little bit and she always really encouraged me. You know, my mom is white, but she really, really drove the point home with me growing up. Anytime I would get teased, she would just say that they were jealous because I come from Kings and Queens and she would yeah, educate me on the history of Africa. And like, she's like, I don't know where you're from specifically, but this is this country. And this is this, you know, uh, musician you should listen to and you should watch this mu- movie. You know, she really exposed me to a lot of the stuff that I, I still love to this day and taught me how to love myself kind of in spite of the things that people were saying about me. and. And she was okay being wrong, which I think is just something that I've, a part of her that I hope I, you know, have taken with me too. And that, you know, it's okay to be wrong and to say I was, I was wrong, you know. It's a beautiful quality. And I think so underrated and so necessary in times like these. Aisha, what's next for you? You are only 26 and you've achieved so (laughs) bloody much. What do you want out of your career? Oh, thanks. You know, I, at the moment, my biggest goal is to just like continue to put out positivity into the world in whatever kind of form that takes, whether it's more the bold type. I mean, I hope it's more the bold type. It feels like we're not really done there. I, I would love to tell more of that story. But I also started like sharing my music with people, which was really scary because both my parents are musicians and like... I, I'm very judgmental of music myself, so I didn't want to do anything that didn't feel perfect. And I kind of got to this point where I was like, you know what? Music brings me so much peace and joy in moments when I need it. So I might as well share it, even if I don't think it's perfect yet. So I'm working on some more music right now, although I'm moving kind of at a snail's pace because of everything. But that's coming up soon. And, um, you know, eventually, I think it would be really cool to kind of be in the driver's seat in terms of like, film and TV, because I have like a lot of stories that I'd really like to tell one of which is, you know, my time growing up in Australia, I would love to like be a part of some storytelling that like, includes all different colors and all different kinds of people in Australia. Like one of my favorite movies of all time is Muriel's Wedding. And I'm like, I love that movie, but I would like to, I would like to redo it. And like, (laughs) (laughs) I would love to say that. I think we all love my hometown. (laughs) (laughs) All of this in mind, Aisha, how do you define success? Oh, yeah. You know, we did warn you about this before we dived in. We said to you, we're like, this will be the final question. Yeah, you know, I actually kind of think success is really just knowing, and this is something that my mom taught me too, but I think success is knowing that you're never really done growing. And as soon as you decide I'm done, like that's when you failed. I think if you're constantly in a space of like questioning and questioning other things and questioning, you know, the things inside of yourself too, then you're you're going to be growing and really... I mean, that's all we want to do, right? Is continue to do that until we, you know, (laughs) 
I Die. love it. That is such a good definition of success. We hear these every week and that is honestly one of my favourites so far. I think oh. that's beautiful. We haven't heard that one before, so thank you. Aisha, thank you for your time and your generosity and your storytelling and for your work on the show and everything you're doing. It has been such an honour and a delight to have you on here and we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. I had so much fun. I feel like my yeah. accent's coming back. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode with Aisha D. For more from Aisha, head over to Stan immediately because, guys, we have some good news. They are now airing brand new episodes of the show we all adore. You can also find Aisha on Instagram at Trey. That's A-I-S-H-T-R-A-Y. If you enjoyed this episode, we also recommend you listen to Georgie Stone from Neighbours. We chatted with her earlier in the year In this episode with Aisha, we did touch on the need for more diversity in shows like Neighbours and Georgie is actually one actress who is bringing that to the forefront in 2020. We absolutely loved that. So we'll pop a link to that episode in our show notes. As for us, Shameless is an independent podcast run by women in their 20s. So if you want to support the show, you can do that by telling your friends to listen, whether that's in person or even sharing a screenshot of this episode or however you're listening to us today on your Instagram stories and your social media and tag us please we are at shameless podcast thank you so so much guys it has been an absolute delight to be back in your ears this week we are actually back in a couple of days time on saturday with our very first book club podcast episode on girl woman other by bernadine evaristo we will see you on saturday of course we'll be back in your ears on monday you cannot get enough of us bye Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.